Hey, 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 welcome to another episode of the Taylor Talks. I'm your host, Don Taylor, and I am so excited to be here today with the most amazing Susie. She is the greatest massage therapist I have ever experienced in my entire life. And a mom and a business owner and a wife and all of the things. She's just an activist and a fighter for life. And she inspires me all the time. And in one of my massages, we realized that we have really intensely cool conversations that most people don't have. And we kept joking about it, that we should just be recording my massage every time and that that would make a podcast episode. But today we are going to actually record one of them. She is here right now with me. So stick around. We're going to also do a really cool giveaway at the end of it. There's going to be some links for some books, some different things we're going to recommend. And I hope you really enjoy our conversation today on money and the power that it holds and shouldn't. Susie, we did it. (laughs) We finally made it. (laughs) We're here. We're going to record this crazy podcast. Oh my goodness. I am so glad you're here. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for that lovely, lovely introduction. I got to say, yes, like our, our appointments together just get so much inspiration and just really nitty gritty topics. And, you know, talking about this, this whole concept about money and money blocks, especially as business owners, I always find that sometimes it is like such a rocky foundation that no matter what is happening within your business, it seems to always come down to money. Like, why? <laughs> I want to know why, right? So we can dive into like our own money patterns and the language that we give and the energy that we put around money. And as far as we want to like reap in all the rewards and all the abundance of life, somehow for some reason, I guess in my mind, it always equates to not having enough. Okay, so this was this conversation we were having, right? Was this fact that like, why is there never enough? Why do we get blocked? Why is it that we have these like limits on it? And it's cool because guess what? No one talks money. (laughs) Nobody talks about money. I have spent so many years frustrated because like we hear what our parents said, right? We hear how they talked about money and like you come from a Filipino culture. I come from like a Mennonite German culture. Both of those, it's all, it all equates to hard work. Yeah. A hundred percent. Hard work equals success, right? Oh, hard work is your worth. Like your actions equal your worth, right? But I don't know about you, but like my parents, my parents were amazing and horrible with money. And here's what I mean by that. My parents very openly talked about like how they gave 10% of their money away every single month, no matter what, even if they were scrambling and could hardly feed us, they always, always, always gave to charities. Like that was huge for them. They were very, very giving in that way. They never took more than 10 years to pay off a house. So we got to be part of celebrations of them paying off houses growing up, or we'd go out for like a fancy dinner and things like that to celebrate the fact that there was no longer a mortgage payment which I'm very aware of in the year 2022, that it's not quite as feasible (laughs) to do. But they always lived really well below their means so that they could do that. And my mom never worked. Like for a lot of my childhood, my mom never worked. And she took care of things. 
but they also didn't talk budgeting. They didn't talk retirement. They didn't talk like what people made an hour, how people function, how you set yourself up for success. They never talked about those things. There was like so much shame and like secrets around it. What about yours? What was your childhood like? Yeah, you know what? Both my parents worked full-time. My mom was a licensed practical nurse when she had immigrated from the Philippines. And my dad, he graduated to be an optometrist in the Philippines and then immigrating at separate times from my mom. So they met each other in Canada. Couldn't practice. Like he'd have to go back to school to practice as an optometrist in Canada. So he ended up working for like a large optometric or whatever that word is. <laughs> kind of like yeah dispensary like that makes glasses and lenses and basically like puts the glasses together puts the, the grade into lenses and whatnot makes glasses right so and we lived the extended family household so not only was it me and my mom and my dad and my sister my mom's youngest brother youngest sister and her dad also lived with us as well. Everyone worked except for grandpa. So there was constantly this kind of like everyone, everyone had to work. And, but there was someone that was always home, but working was the foundation of, I want to say how our family functioned, right? Like it's, it's the way that our family flowed to do things. And and from that, it was like very much the concept of I have to work because I have to make the money. Yeah. And it was like, I have to work to make the money to support family. So if I'm taking that concept like into my family setting now, I can see how very much like deeply ingrained it is that it's like, if I don't work, how am I supporting my family? Even though yeah. I know... There are so many ways to be a supportive mom and, you know, womanly figure in the household without having to bring in the money, like just to even just nurture, right? But I can see how that pattern has already kind of like leaked into my family. And now as a business owner, and this is one of the things about biz being a business owner too. It's like, I have this concept and this idea of what a business owner is like. And I always saw freedom in that. But in actually living that, there is freedom and liberation in it. But it's like this constant learning and growing. And then, yeah, and it's like, what, what are my thresholds with money? So, <laughs> no, and I totally, I totally get it. So you were asking me prior to us hopping on the podcast, like how I started breaking through that right? To get out of that, you know, the ebb and flow and the money, the, the money hostage, if you want to call it that. I'll put it in a, in a, in a concept of like a container. So let's say you do have this kind of belief system that if you make this much money, you'll be okay. Right. Let's say you get that corporate job and you're making like, I don't know what, what's a good amount of money these days to make a hundred thousand. $100,000. That's your container. That's your safety net. You'll feel safe in doing that. However, knowing that us as humans are always longing for some sort of like expansion, you begin to like feel the threshold of that container of like $100,000. And all of a sudden you kind of like just break your price point and just try and even make that 
a couple thousand dollars more. But once you kind of go over that edge, there's this kind of like bounce back between like, yes, you can have that thousand dollars, but we're going to send you a thousand dollar bill to pay where it's like, how do you make that border expand to then encompass what you want to call in without it being so much of what comes in also comes out. Or maybe it's the concept of being safe or feeling okay with just having money in the first place. Well, isn't that part of it though? So I've been reading this really interesting book and listening to it on audiobook because that's how my brain works. And it's called Secrets of a Millionaire Mind by T. Harv Ecker. And someone has said, someone who I follow on Instagram, who I have mad respect for, I mean, they don't know who I am, but someone had questioned her on one of those, like, ask me anything things. If there was any book you would recommend around finances and getting ahead, what book would it be? And she's like, 100% this one. So I read it and I'm almost done the book, but it's really interesting because he goes through, and we'll have a link to it in the show notes if... So you don't have to like stop what you're doing and write that down if people don't want to. But he goes into like the different areas of our life and how we have like what we've heard, right? What we've been told about money, right? So the words that were spoken, like, no, that's too expensive or no, we can't afford that or wealthy people are all greedy or, you know, money doesn't grow in trees. Like all these statements and these words that we've heard our entire lives around money. But then there's the actions we saw right? So how did money go? And he talks about a story of how like, I think it was his dad was a land developer. He would buy and he would talk about how like his dad would buy that plot of land. And then everything was stressed. Like money was all stressful. It was all angry, all stressful because he had bought this piece of land and it was like, there's no money for anything and he couldn't buy anything for anyone. But then all of a sudden, give it however many you know months, years later, he sells the land Now he's flush with cash and now he's like Mr. Generosity himself, right? And so how like watching those patterns, we grow up thinking almost in that same way. Mm -hmm. And so as I've been unpacking this in my own life, right? And looking at the things I was said is there's always been like this pride to be poor in my family. Yeah. Where it's like, not even that anyone is poor, like they're, they all make good money, but I remember the first time seeing, and I apologize if family's listening to this and they're like, what? Sorry, guys, but this is my perspective on this, right? But I remember the first time one of my aunts was wearing a pair of jeans that I had worn when I was 12 and I was in my like 30s. And she's like, do you remember buying these? Don't you wish you would kept them? And I was like, should you be proud that you're wearing my 25-year-old pants? Right, like... In my head, that was a really weird thing, mm-hmm. right? And the hoarding tendencies and the keep everything because everything has a value and I spent money on that. And right, like you can't get rid of anything. And it, it created in me this like weird belief around money and almost like a desperation. Like money has to feel desperate, right? And it has to feel hard. Like it can't easily flow, right? Money is the root of all evil, Pride goeth before the fall. Like these are the words that would flow through my brain. Yeah. Well, then subconsciously, how do you, how do you like break those rules that we have on money and what we're allowed to have and how much we can make and what retirement looks like and when we retire and 
healthy amounts of income when that's our belief in the background, right? Is that money is the root of all evil. Well, of course we don't want to keep it because we don't want to be evil. Do you know what I mean? And like, this is how our brains get wired. This is how our brains function. And then we wonder why we do this. And so, you know how you've heard over the years about like lottery winners, like they've only ever lived on 65,000 a year. And then they'll win like $50 million, give them five years. They're back to $65,000 a year. Yeah. Right. It's because of like what their money story is. It's because of what they believe they're allowed to have, what they believe they're allowed to make their beliefs and what money even looks like. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know. I've, I keep having these conversations with people and doing this work on myself. Cause I'm like, I don't want money to feel hard. Yeah. I don't want it to feel desperate. I was talking to someone a few months ago, a client, and she was having like almost full of full blown panic attacks. I'm like, I'm never going to be able to retire. And she's, I think she's about 45 and 45, 47. And I said, Oh, and she goes, I need like $5 million to retire. And I said, where did you get the number from? Well, that's just what my parents always said. That was the number her parents said. And she's like, I do not know how I'll ever make $5 million to put in retirement. And I phoned one of my friends who sells life insurance and does retirement plans and savings plans and stuff. And I said, Hey, what do you actually need to retire? And he was like, what? And I said, how much do you actually need? And so again, like we're talking in Canada, but he's like, if you put a, if you have $800,000 in your retirement plan, you can have like seven, I think it was like $7,000 a month for 35 years. Wow. Right. And I was like, huh, well, that's way more feasible, right? Which all of a sudden, like if you break that down over an extended period of time, like that becomes a way more feasible item to come up with and a number to create or to get when you stop and think about it, right? Like your face when I said that, you were like, oh, I know. Like, that's not as bad as I thought. I'm like, how did he calculate that? <laughs> right. But like, it's his job. Right. But he was doing a plan for a client, but like he had said that and I went, Oh, and he goes, why? And I said, that's just so like, why does no one talk about this? Why does that? Why don't people, why don't people talk about money or retirement or savings or any of these things? I think there's also a lot of fear wrapped around it as well, right? For a personal concept in my mind, I don't have the concept of retirement. Like there's always going to be a passion and purpose in my heart that wants to be fulfilled. And I hope that kind of just keeps on going you know? And with that, I'm hoping there will be money that continues to come to me if I'm living in my purpose and being aligned with what I want to put out there into the universe, right? So like we always say, money is energy. And and that's where my mindset is at. But, you know, people do ask me, like, do you plan on retiring? Like, and it seems like such an old concept of, you know, having to save money and put money aside. But there's something within me that just doesn't align with that. And I'm just like, I want to keep on doing what I'm doing, maybe scaling back on the massage part, but continuing to kind of support whoever I want to, or whoever comes my way through the means of what I develop in my business. Right. So yeah, it's, it's such an interesting concept of even just like systems, like the systems that we have around money. Like I question 
is it even working for our demographic? You know, like being in our forties, it's like the concept of equity, like home equity and retirement and saving for that. I don't know, like that itself causes stress within me. (laughs) So I'm like, I don't even want to think about it. Right. But. Okay. But here's where I would challenge you even on that one statement you made, right. About like retirement and not even going there. I used to think the same until I sat with it and was like, what am I scared of? Yeah. Like, what are my fears attached to this concept of retirement? Will I work till I'm 90? Yeah, probably. Like my husband laughs all the time. He's like, I want to be retired by 55 and then you will work for another 40 years. (laughs) Cause you love what you do. And I was like, oh, hundred percent. Like I will work until they like wheel me into a senior's home and I can't have enough visitors to coach kind of idea, right? Like, like <laughs> I always joke about that. I've t- I was joking with one of my, um, with my IV doctor. I was like, can we be in the same senior's home? Cause I'll probably still be getting IVs to keep up my health at that point to maintain my career. Yeah. And he's like, can you imagine if like we were all in the same senior's home, just like keeping each other going, right? We joke about it, but when it comes down to it, that's where like the logical side of my brain always has to still step in and be like, I can dream and I can put it out there and I can think about it and I can, you know, whatever I want about what that could look like for retirement. But at the end of the day, what if something happens? What if I get sick? What if like, like I still have to pay my bills and I can't be like a, I can't be a burden to the people around me as much as I do have some nieces and nephews that I'm like, oh, get ready. Auntie Dawn's coming for you. <laughs> right? When I get old, you're taking care of me because I don't have kids. And I mean, but in all seriousness, it's still that responsibility aspect without it feeling like a burden. And I think that that's where it for, and for people listening, like, please comment, like in the show notes, like, Go comment. Tell us like how your thoughts are on this and how you feel about it and how you deal with it. Or if you have a big plan on it, I feel like we still have to be realistic to have a retirement plan and to know that we can take care of ourselves when we're old. Like it's our responsibility to take care of ourselves when we're old, right? And to be able to pay our bills. But like you, it becomes this like scary thing where it's like, I'm just going to avoid. Yeah. And then I'm going to go super woo-woo on this and I'm going to just manifest till I'm a hundred. Like it'll work. (laughs) Like I'm sure it'll work. And I think that it's, it's a beautiful, easy way out in a way. And at the same time, there's totally some truth and validity to it. It's also looking at it and going, okay, what about this scares me? Or is this something where I can love myself and honor myself and respect myself enough to prepare for this. Right. Mm -hmm. To go there, to do that. Yeah. 100%. You're like, damn it. (laughs) I know. But there's so many ways to do it. Like, is a retirement plan, does that mean like talking to a guy that just knows financial planning? Or can a retirement plan be also investments and properties that make it really well, you know? I think it could be a combo, right? And that's where if you find the right person to work with you. For myself, like we, we've always had crazy sporadic income. We've always, it's the, I always joke that in how I was raised, right? When you're raised by farmers, 
or people that come from that demographic and generation, there's like a feast or famine. Yeah. Right. It's like, oh, crops are in off the fields. We sold them. Yay. An abundance of money. Oh, we took all the cows to the market. Right. Yay. An abundance of money, whatever it is that passes down generation to generation of that mindset. So even like in my childhood, it was always like my dad's either working all the time or it's break up and he's home. Yeah. And in, even in that on too, it's like that feasts or famine, it's kind of like, what do I need to let go of in order to make money? So if we take a look at that container again, where it has that boundary of like, this is how much you want to make, but you want to make more, but there's this kind of like, whenever I bring something in, something also has to come out. Feast or famine idea still with that concept. But that's where like... If you think about it, isn't that just the story we've created in our head from how we were raised? Uh, yeah, it's generational, isn't it? And it's it's generational. Like you and I have talked so much about this in terms of like watching our parents and how they interacted with each other. And now we're doing the same with our spouses mm-hmm. because it's these trained behaviors. Right. So when we sit down and look at it, where is the belief coming from? Where did the belief start that in order for you to go like that you can't go above a certain number Mm -hmm. right where did the belief start where did that belief come from right it's like the bad things happen in threes like like what was spoken over us that these internal stories happened that made us believe that this is how life has to be yeah there's so much depth into that but like even retirement itself okay retirement is a concept retirement came from Germany in the war when they were bringing up younger soldiers and they needed to retire, quote unquote, the old boys to make room for the new ones because they weren't good anymore. But life expectancy was 67. So they retired them at 65 so that they could have a few years out of the war and then they would just die. Mm. That's literally where it came from. It got brought to North America as this like weird number of 65. That, that's, that's when we retire. That's as long as we work. Where when you dig into it, there's whole countries and cultures that don't have a concept of retirement. Yeah. Like people are still working at 100, 110, like literally in villages, there's no retirement, like jobs might shift or change or whatever, but it's not even a concept. So then as a society, and this has always driven me crazy is We're expected, really, if you think about it, you graduated 18, yay, you might have your shit together if you're lucky by the time you're like 30, Mm -hmm. making a decent income, like your quote unquote adult income, right? But then you're having kids and you're buying houses and cars and doing all the things. So even if you were to start at 30 and put a ton of money aside every month, you have 35 years to save all the money you need for what, the next 35 years? Mm-hmm. That's weird. <laughs> right? But then you have like life circumstances and things that happen where you can't put that amount of money away. And it doesn't matter. It's, I'm not saying like, oh, well, if you just stopped, right? The whole thing of like just stop buying avocado toast in Starbucks and you could retire 10 years earlier. No, sometimes there's like health issues or there's massive traumas or there's just situations that happen that make it so we don't. Mm -hmm. Or we weren't taught. It's not a pattern. It's not a behavior. We have fears, whatever it is. But like this idea, and then 
I don't know about you, but I remember talking to a friend probably like six, seven years ago. And she was like, I'm way too close to 50. We have nothing in retirement. She's like, I don't know how we're going to cope. And so she was just shutting down. Yeah. And I was like, okay, but at 40, like, and so I remember saying to her at that point, I was like, so, but why do you have to hold to the 65 number? Yeah. What if you actually worked till 75? What if your magical number was like 81? Like (laughs) 81 years old is the year I retire. Yeah. Because like, that's part of it too, is we have all this like weird ass shame from society of like, no, but you have to be retired by 65. And like, you can't work beyond 65. Right. And then you're like old. It's like, wow, you're really old. I'm sorry. I have hung out this year with enough 70 year olds that have more energy than I do (laughs) that I'm like, I can't imagine not working at that age and having that much energy. Like they're so young in my brain now mm-hmm. when I see them and hang out with them. But I don't know. It's just a weird, it's a weird thing that no one talks about. It is. It is. It's really like you can you can just tell with like the expression on my face. Like there's so many things that are just happening in my head right now. Like, what about if and how? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like scenarios, right? Yeah. Totally. And I know for us, like one of the things that we started was just like a little bit into an RSP, Mm -hmm. just a little bit. We had started that years ago just to be like, okay, we'll just start somewhere. Mm -hmm. But I'm also, and you and I've talked about this, having come from the background I come from in terms of like health issues, not expecting to live past the age of 40, like Mm -hmm. all of these big things in my brain, I didn't think I'd still be alive. Yeah. So like my husband and I have been having the conversation of like, yes, we have to pay off debt and we're actively working on it. Yes, we need to save for retirement and we're actively working on it. But we also kind of want to live semi-retired until we die. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And for me, semi-retired is still doing the things. It's still taking the odd vacation. It's still going to the random concerts. It's still taking chunks of time off. It's doing those things. But I refuse to almost like die now to live later. Yeah, it's exactly. But, but there has to be a happy medium. (laughs) Die doing all the things so then you can enjoy your life later. Yeah. When 50% of people die two years after retirement. A hundred percent. That's when majority of the, the illnesses come in. Right lose that purpose of not working hundred percent they do so I think that's like part of my thing is I'm like if I just live semi-retired and I don't ever retire then I could just live indefinitely this is my brain logic <laughs> right that's so true I like that I I can agree with that <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> oh my goodness so what do you wish so let's go into the a different side of this. What do you wish your parents had talked to you about around this growing up? Gosh, how to work with it, you know, and, and maybe pull back a little bit less on like that hustle type energy of having to catch up all the time in, in catching up was never a concept that was verbally spoken. It was more of like the child that I was being able to, 
like observing the fact that my parents work full-time jobs. They come home. I need to make sure that there's rice cooked and have the table cleaned up so we can have a quick dinner. And then we would go to their part-time jobs and then I would go with them. So then I can just hang out with them. And that was my quality time that I had with my parents. And so even though we did it that way, what I saw was that we were able to you know, my parents built a house in the north side of Edmonton in the 90s, which I knew was completely out of their price range. But because we had other family moving to the north side of Edmonton, they wanted to move along with them and create like a community and a new community. They bought a vehicle with a really pretty sweet down payment. So their monthly payment wouldn't be so hefty on them. And then they had me and my sister through post-secondary and we're able to pay off their mortgage really fast. So it's like the concept of, you know, just even being able to observe of like, that's how much they put in. And this is now they're like reaping the rewards of their lifestyle. So when it comes to the, the house that they have and the concept that I have is like, why don't you just downsize? They There's so much pride in everything that they put into it because of working for it that the attachment to it is so strong. They can't see life any other way. They just think that this is the way life is where like, I, I am noticing within myself that it's not, it's not what I agree with. Like there's always going to be ebb and flow with what I believe lifestyle should be. And so I love being a renter. I don't want to own a home. I've done that three times. And um, I like having the flexibility and finding homes that then suit the needs of my family in that time. And so, and even with that, just trying to understand the concept of like home equity and is it a value that I carry, that it that's something that I want to live out and, and see just with my husband and I coming to terms that, it, it doesn't really match our values. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a really different concept of, of living. Like we, my husband and I, we do, we are pretty career driven. And so when it comes to where we were prior to having kids, it, our lives did revolve around work and really finding that fit with companies that would jive with our lifestyle And then once we had kids and got married and things like that, we really started to, you know, put those family values of what we've seen with our families with buying a house throughout the years. It it just was a struggle for us, even though we had that foundation of having that like post-secondary job. Yeah. That was like meant to support us. So yeah, just even having the conversation with him of just like, what, what are our values with money? Like, how do we want to continue living this lifestyle? And since we are both career driven and we have kids now, the concept of like keeping the house tidy is just not where we want to spend our energy. So the concept of just having someone to support us by cleaning our home for us and we support them by paying them for that service is so much more of a higher value for us to keep on living the lifestyle that we want to to have the the time with our kids and the time the quality time with each other whereas that would be highly judged as only what rich people do within the Filipino community yeah 
it's 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 really interesting to to kind of like take that different I guess like where your values are as far as like how you want to run a household and then also kind of like feel or lean into the judgment of if I do this then what will people say even though I know it doesn't matter yeah but but it's there <laughs> I know it brews, you know, so hundred percent. Yeah. And it works for us. Right. So it's, it's very different. Like I think, you know, coming from a family that was very into like hard work equals success. Like there are bits and pieces of that, that we do take into our life, but we also take other bits and pieces that we never had growing up and we've like implemented that to just make it a little bit more expansive and flowy I guess well and I think that's like when I look back at my childhood logically and I know I've had these conversations with some of my older nieces and nephews it's like let's talk what things actually cost like I wish my parents would have sat us down and gone over the monthly budget like this is what's coming in. This is what's going out. This is what things actually cost, right? This is how much we make. This is, if we want to do this activity or we want to buy a boat or we want to go to Disney or we want to go camping or whatever that is, like this is how many hours of work it's going to take to do that. Or what are other ways we could earn that money? Like, I feel like that's, money is so secretive, Mm -hmm. even in households that nobody talks about it. Nobody discusses it. Nobody knows what's going on with it. And then we're expected magically as adults to be able to figure that out. Yeah. And I think there's a deep seated fear about that too. You know, like my parents probably didn't, well, not even probably, they never wanted us to realize that we were struggling. Right. So even though they didn't have to say it verbally, I felt it like now in hindsight, you know, like looking back, at my life now, it's just like, wow, was the love language always an act of service between family members, the way they serve the community. And then look where I am at today in my business, right? It's like all acts of service. (laughs) But that's one of the things too, is just being even a parent is like, you don't want to ever bring that fear, I guess, in, in my mind of not having enough. But it's very easy, like even though the language around that might not even be verbalized, kids will always feel the struggle. Well, but I think, and tell me if I'm wrong, but like I know growing up, my sister and brother and I will have conversations now and I'll be like, no, mom and dad were fine. They were like, they figured it out. But and my sister will be like, uh, no, they were flat ass broke and mom could hardly feed us, which is why she bought like 50 pound bags of onions. And we had like fried onions with every single meal. And I'm like, oh, I just thought she wasn't a creative cook. <laughs> right? Like, Yeah, it's a different perception, I guess. Perception is so different for every single kid. Mm-hmm. But also like if if we know that kids are feeling what's going on and we aren't telling them the story of what's going on. Like we're not giving them the details. Are they not then just creating their own story around it? Yeah, exactly. And then they're going to create their own story about your parent. Totally. Your parents may have never felt that they were actually struggling. They may have felt that they were thriving with what they had and they were killing it. Yeah. 
But on the outside, you watching felt the struggle. So you then attached this meaning of struggle to what they were doing, right? which then plays into your adulthood of like, I can't work that much. I can't do those things. I can't ever have that. The house that then carries this weight of having to hustle that hard, right? Do you see where like all these beliefs just end up so intertwined? And I think that's where like, we should be more honest about it. Mm-hmm. I was talking to, I know I told you that I, I'm like obsessed with going to concerts right now. The energy just calms me, right? I love the energy of it. So I'm like, if I can't live in downtown New York, I'm going to go to a lot of concerts to feel that intense energy of a big crowd of people. But I had texted a friend yesterday to see if she wanted to go to something with me. And we've had conversations about this. And she was like, honestly, she's like, Don, everything's maxed right now financially I'm struggling. Like I just can't. And I was like, thank you for being so honest about that Mm -hmm. and showing up in that way. Like, thank you for letting me know now, how can I support you in that? Which then allows me to not be like, Hey, let's go for lunch. Hey, let's go for coffee. Hey, let's do all those things. Right. Another friend recently, they've struggled really hard over the last few years. And she's like, we're looking at bankruptcy and we've been going to the food bank to feed our kids. And when I'd invited her to go out for breakfast and she was like, I just can't. And when she was honest and vulnerable with me, right? Vulnerability is where connections made. I was like, come over and let me feed you. Mm -hmm. Right? Come to my home and let me love on you and feed you a home cooked meal. Like I would be honored to do that. Right. And I think that's where we need to open up. We need to talk to each other because how many times have we gone out for the meal or done the thing that we can't afford and we know we couldn't afford it and we needed the money for something else, but we didn't want people to think we couldn't afford it or to think that we weren't successful. Mm -hmm. Right. And then we make really poor decisions sometimes, right? (laughs) When if we were vulnerable about it and we're just like, no, actually I'm really struggling. And I like financially just not in a position to afford that right now. It would be like, oh, let's go for a walk instead or let's do something else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It gives you more options. Yeah. It totally does. It totally gives us more options, but also to have conversations like we've had about like, what does it look like to not own a home? Yeah. What does it look like to do the work we do where we, like our hearts are so involved, right? Mm -hmm. How do you charge for those things, right? Like how to do those things. So for anyone listening, I think my biggest thing is like, if you have kids, talk to your kids, teach your kids, even if it's talking to them about like, Hey, yeah, you know what? We did get ourselves into some crazy debt. Look what we did. But now how do we get ourselves out of it and create that? Like, these are skills your kids need to have. And the only reason there's going to be fear attached to it is because we attach the fear to it. Mm -hmm. Right? Where if instead it's like, oh, oops. Yeah, exactly. Like, we're going to recreate the story of what this means. How can we work as a family to overcome this? Mm -hmm. Right? I think that it would benefit so many people. But also within friend groups, right? I mean, find your safe people, find your people you can actually talk to about this that, you know, aren't going to just judge you and laugh at you or (laughs) just shut you down. (laughs) Exactly. What do you mean you can't come out for dinner tonight? (laughs) Right. But like to have those conversations with them to be like, hey, this is where we're at and this is what I'm working through. Mm -hmm. Exactly. 
right? Because there's amazing ways to still live and thrive in life and not be so scared of money. Mm -hmm. I think that if we are constantly scared of money, we're almost creating it being scared of us. Oh, that's, that's right. That feels right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, if I'm so scared of money and facing it and facing what it could mean and how much I might need or want or desire or how to, how to figure that out, like I'm teaching it, I'm scared of it. Why is it ever going to approach me? Mm -hmm. So the more I sit with money, the more I, not literally, I'm not like Scrooge McDuck in my money pool, but the more I sit with it and just go, okay, what do I owe? What do I need for retirement? What are my goals and dreams? What are some, you know, budget numbers I could put towards money for my future? Like, what is it that I'm going to do out of love for myself and respect for my future, for myself and my family, instead of fear and hatred of it Mm -hmm. and how it was managed when I was a kid. It completely shifts my flow of how I look at it. Mm -hmm. And even just diving into the, the patterns of like the language around money, the energy around money from childhood, you know, and it's like, you know, analyzing where you are at now with it and being kind to yourself to just constantly morph and play with the idea of how do I create more of this? Like whether it's monetarily or even just the feeling of richness. Right. Yeah. And what that means, like some people are, we had friends a million years ago that they lived on next to nothing. Like I think they literally made like $18,000 a year Mm -hmm. as a family of four I mean, this was a lot of years ago, but still at no point did they feel poor and no point did they come across that way or act that way. Like they lived, they lived, like they laughed in games and music and life. And they had such a full abundant life within those numbers. Mm -hmm. And at no point would you have hung out with them and been like, wow, they make that little, like it wasn't a thing. Yeah. But it's, it's all how we handle it and deal with it and react to it. Mm-hmm. That's so true. And then the love we have for what we even have. I don't know. There's this cool exercise I heard somewhere where it was like, sometimes the money that comes in and the abundance that comes in and the wealth that comes in doesn't come in in, ex- in expected ways. Yeah. So we expect it to be a raise at work. We expect it to be like, you know, the, the addition on the paycheck or things like that. Where sometimes it's the fact that you drove up in a parking meter already had money in it. Yeah, exactly. When's the last time you were like, thank you, (laughs) right? And accepted that. Like that matters. Like that stuff actually matters. Mm -hmm. Be open to those opportunities. My mind would automatically be like, that's too good to be true. (laughs) I don't want a ticket. So let me just pay anyways. Right. Right? But then it's looking at that and being like, but is it too good to be true? Or is it actually just a beautiful gift right now? Yeah, exactly. Right. So let's, I love this conversation, by the way. I love talking about these things. I think because I've been working through the shame around money in my own life and what that means and not being scared of the numbers on the, you know, the balance sheet right now, that Cause I'm like, I can pay that off. It's going to take a long time, but I can pay that off. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like I shouldn't even say a long time, like take that back, but it's, 
now that I'm like starting to work through this stuff, I'm like, no, why are we all not having these conversations? But let's end with something totally just like silly, some rapid fire questions and just some fun stuff to get to know you better, Susie. So let's start with the first one. What is your favorite place you have ever traveled? Oh, Okay, it's a hard one. Give us like your top three. Give us your top three because everyone's always like, I'm like, it's going to be Disneyland, 100%. (laughs) Like as a child and like as an adult, I've only been there once as a kid, but being there as an adult without kids is a completely different ballgame. And then being able to experience it with my kids is also amazing. That's amazing. I love Disneyland. Yeah. Oh, that is so fun. We should should go. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you should <laughs> we should go like let's just figure out how to afford Disneyland this winter let's just go um how would you describe yourself in one sentence and not just work like personal work everything personal work everything oh my how god how would you describe yourself in one sentence good question I would have enjoyed these like prior to this podcast <laughs> I know, I know everyone says that. I'm and I'm like, like that'll take five minutes <laughs> in one sentence. Can I just like throw some words out there? I would, I, I would, I would throw out inspirational, badass, compassionate, and kind. Oh, I totally agree. You are by far all of those things. Do, do yours, do yours. What's yours? <laughs> um, for the longest time, I've joked that when I die, I want my gravestone to say medical marvel freak of nature. Fucking awesome. <laughs> and I don't, I don't think that that's too far off. Crazy, passionate, really scrappy, kind. Yeah. Someone's biggest cheerleader. I don't know. And, and weirdly disconnected. disconnected to be connected (laughs) totally yeah all right what do you spend a silly amount of money on food it's food (laughs) like a hundred percent this is like part of the money story right where it's just like i could spend money on food no problem i won't like shy on getting the best cuts of meat if i'm gonna cook a meal or or you know there's no holds on food yeah I love good food (laughs) do you have okay so this woman made me pans it and lumpia and they were the best I've ever had so like she's an incredible cook (laughs) I cannot take the credit for the lumpia because that is like my mom's jam and even though I know the recipe it's probably the amount of love and care that she puts into each and every one of those things (laughs) like my kids are like, something's different. I'm like, it's the same damn recipe. <laughs> it's the love. It is the love. <laughs> it's the love. It's totally the love. Yeah. Yeah. On that note, do you have a favorite restaurant? Okay. What are your, like your, your couple favorites that everyone should try if they're in them? Oh right? gosh, definitely the keg. Like that's my, my place for like steak. Really? Yeah. So I okay. love the keg. Cactus Club is really in and around that area too. If you want some sort of like more variety, yeah, at a cheaper cost. And then for Japanese food, Kyoto or not Kyoto, Mikado. Okay, those are kind of like you my and I top. are going to have to eat out one day. Yes. <laughs> what is your secret guilty pleasure way to decompress? Are you like 
the housewives of Beverly Hills watcher? Do you puzzle or play Lego? Like what is your like secret, like little guilty pleasure thing you do? I will bathe. Like I, I love taking baths. And so I will bathe in complete darkness and maybe light like a couple of candles, but I do enjoy decompressing in that way. I'm still feeling like, you know, I feel like I'm, that's part, one of the parts of myself that I'm learning about because I can operate so fast and keep on going in that direction. But, you know, being in my forties, it's like, no, really, really sink into the feeling of like what it feels like to rest and funny being like a massage therapist and being able to do that for other people, or at least be part of like, I, in the journey of allowing somebody to reach that state of relaxation. So it's always a mirror to me as to how, what I can also do for myself. How do I reach that? I I want what state they're in. How can my, like, I'm showing up as a support tool for that person to get to that point, but I'm like, I want to be able to do that for myself. So, you know, in this year of 2022 bathing, bath bombs, salts, like the whole nine yards. Just like a nice dark tub. <laughs> That's is amazing. My, is my decompression mode. Okay. Now I'm going to, it's really gross out today. So I may have to have a hot bath tonight and try that exact thing with some candles. Have a hot bath and then have a cold shower after. I did oh. that yet. <laughs> That might feel good, or I'd be like so chill that I would think I was gonna die. It was great. <laughs> I love it. Last one for today. What is one purchase of a hundred dollars or less that you've made recently that most positively impacted your life? A hundred dollars or less. It's very specific, but then for people that are like, hey, wait, I want to buy something. <laughs> Why does it always go back to food? It's so funny. I'm like, I bought That's okay. <laughs> food was under a hundred dollars and I made a fabulous meal out of it. And it was fantastic. <laughs> if that's your thing, <laughs> that's amazing. Gas was also under a hundred bucks. And now it's really, it's lasting me quite a bit. So I'm happy about that. Oh, you are uh, so funny. Yeah. Okay. I'll give, I'll give a couple. Um, it's blueberry season. Nice. And buying those at the farmer's market has made me incredibly happy. Hilariously, also food. I found a keto baker at the Bountiful Farmer's Market that does the most outstanding baked goods that are keto. Yum. So that's been a big one. And The Secrets of the Millionaire Mind, that book. That's cool. I need to pick up that book. (laughs) You really should. It's a good one. It's a really good one. So Susie, thank you so much for being here today. Please check out the show notes at thetaylorway.ca where you can find links to everything. You can find like all the all the details, how to find Susie, how to book a massage with Susie. Yeah, that's right. You know you want to because she's amazing. But also, if you did love this episode, please leave a review on Spotify or Apple where you listen to your podcast. It would be greatly appreciated. And I will see you back here in a couple of weeks. Talk to you soon. Oh, 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 oh,